Hello and welcome to the Light from Light podcast. Here we are with episode seven with me, Daniel, and you, Brother Thomas Therese, comma, OP. Today we're talking about a very interesting topic, how to read the Bible. Dun, dun, dun. First of all, Brother Thomas, how was your week? Uh, yeah, actually, it was good. Yeah, it, it wasn't too bad. Time is over now here in Oxford, so I've got a little bit more... A little bit more free time. I'm still doing some apostolic work with the chaplaincy and things. But yeah, it's good. L- last night, I was giving a talk about vocation to some confirmation candidates at the place I used to work in London. And I, <laughs> I got really emotional. First, I sort of come into the Zoom call and the head teacher of the school that I used to go into, uh, she was there and I wasn't expecting to see her. And I was just, oh my gosh, how are you? And then all of a sudden, when, when the kids were coming into the room one by one, I realized I recognized all their names and I recognized all their faces. And it was one of my first uh, Holy Communion classes. And I mean, I pray for them every day and I, I've always wondered about how they're doing and how they're getting on and to see now that they're making their confirmation and things. It was wonderful to see them again. Yeah, it was a very special moment. Got very emotional. Or I did anyway. (laughs) I got very emotional. I think they were all right. How about you? We had in our parish first confessions and it was really nice to see some of the confirmation candidates from previous years there to receive their confession with their younger... But you're going to say there with their kids. Oh my gosh, I haven't (laughs) been there that long yet. No, but they were there with their younger brothers and sisters. So it was really nice to see some of them going to confession and then their younger siblings also going as well. Oh, good. So really joyful family event. It's It's always nice to have it as a family that's how you used to do it as well in your parish yeah yeah. but anyway let's get on to our topic so today we're talking about how to read the bible and uh, brother thomas have you heard this quote from saint uh oh no it's not a saint have you heard this quote (laughs) from maybe one day he'll be a saint it's uh dr john bergsma who's a scripture scholar in america but he says the the scriptures are a wonderful infinite playground that we can enter into and no matter how far you progress you still find more meanings present I haven't heard that, but you know, it reminds me of, you know, when people talk about scriptures like being like a well, mm. and they, they use that sort of imagery from the Gospel of John where Jesus, is it Jesus and the Samaritan woman where she's drawing from the well and he asks her for water? That very often is used as an image of scripture, a well from which you can draw deep from and you can keep returning to and keep finding new insights and things. Yeah, I think it was St. Bonaventure that that's taken from the idea that because God is infinite in nature, anything that he has spoken to the scriptures will be infinite in nature because it speaks of him i think that's the the idea okay so we're talking about the the bible today how to read the bible so we're just going to talk about some generic advice on how to open up the bible and how to start looking at it because i I don't know about you brother thomas but when i first started trying to read the bible it was pretty confusing yeah i I started with the book of revelation uh oh you would you would yeah i know more i understand it more now than what i did at the time which one I suppose would expect. Is that why Scott Hahn's book had such a profound impact on you? Yeah, I think it probably did. Yeah. So Scott Hahn is a biblical scholar who wrote a book called The Lamb's Supper, which is a guide really to understanding the book of Revelation. And he, he says that the lens through which you can understand this and this can prove fruitful for your spiritual life and nourish your spiritual life is the mass just as you see the book of Revelation divided into two halves, the first half being letters, the second half being the marriage supper of the Lamb. So too with the liturgy, you know, you begin with the uh, liturgy of the word and then you enter the liturgy of the Eucharist, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. So yeah, there are all sorts of good insights there that he creates. One of the things I found most interesting was the parallels he drew with things in the Old Testament and showing me where some of our prayers come from in the Mass 
and how the mass is basically rooted in scripture so if you haven't got that book then yeah go for that the lamb supper by dr scott Hahn. Mm, so that book had a, a big impact mm. upon you and i remember after first meeting you you were like you've got to read this book <laughs> <laughs> was that the lamb supper yeah the same book i don't think it had the same impact upon me because i didn't know the book of revelation didn't know it was a thing but what really <laughs> struck me was the the wholeness to the scripture that it links together yeah. And that our faith is born from that. It links together the Jewish scriptures and the New Testament. And our faith is all is all one. You know, that yeah. Nothing is contradictory. So that really struck me. And I suppose that is actually a really good way to approach the scriptures. Is to look at the, the whole and the content of the scriptures. The unity. Which the, the church talks about. So have you got any advice for our listeners on how to start approaching scriptures oh you know me i've got advice for everyone and everything (laughs) i suppose the first thing that i really want to say is that scripture is not one book but many books so recently on twitter there was a video of some monks from pluscadden abbey which is a benedictine abbey in scotland and the monk said prayer is freedom and someone replied to that by saying freedom is not submitting your life to one book So, of course, you know, being a Dominican, I reply to this. (laughs) Firstly, by pointing out that scripture is not one book, but actually many books. And secondly, with a phrase by St. Thomas Aquinas, comma, OP, uh, (laughs) beware the person of one book. Mm. But yeah, these books do all have something in common, as you were just saying, that they teach us about God himself and about our relationship with him. And because they teach us about God himself, they're teaching us about something that's infinite. But how is that truth communicated? It's communicated through creatures, words. It's communicated to us. Well, now when we read scripture, scripture is creation. You know, the words that are used in there uh, are created words, different languages with a particular historical context, with a particular culture. And all of these things help us to understand what's going on. So it communicates a truth which is greater than itself in that sense. And so in in that way, it's non-exhaustive. But because it's communicated through human words and human language and things, we can understand it, right? There is something about it that we can understand. And this is another reason for the incarnation. Why why God became man? Uh, So that God can reveal himself to us in a fuller way and in a way that we can understand. So when people talk about religions of the book and things, very often I'll say that Christianity is not a religion of the book, but actually a religion of the flesh. Our sacred languages aren't so much Latin, Greek and Hebrew as they are flesh because the word became flesh and lived among us. So Jesus Christ is the fullness of that revelation that God has given to us. And now we encounter through the through the church, through the scriptures, But God reveals himself also in the natural world too. So we might want to distinguish between natural revelation and supernatural revelation. So natural revelation would be things like that we can know that that God is and we can know some things about God. So we can know that God is the creator of the world, for example. We might say that we know that God is perfect, for example, that God is transcendent. But there are some things that we cannot know. So, for example, that God is Trinity. That's something then that is disclosed to us, that is revealed to us through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's probably the first, (laughs) probably couple of things I want to (laughs) say, is that um, revelation is twofold. You have natural revelation and supernatural, supernatural revelation. But in terms of scripture, what I wanted to say was that there are many 
different books and that means many different genres it means many different literary styles you see poetry allegory theologized history you see letter writing you see biography you see apocalyptic literature a literature about the end times you see literature that is etiology that just means stories that tell us why things are the way that they are and depending on what type of genre you're reading that changes the sort of truth you expect to find. It changes how you interpret what you're reading. You don't read letters in the same way that you read poetry. A letter from your grandmother most likely has a different purpose and is trying to communicate something different to the poetry of William Blake. So within that genre, you should expect to find truth being expressed, but you ex find it expressed in different forms. Metaphor, analogy, allegory, parables. So when Peter is called rock by Jesus, or if I said to you, Dan, Dan, you're my rock, am I making a truth claim within the framework of the natural sciences? No. But am I communicating something true? Yes. The properties of the rock communicate something true about you, Dan, or about our friendship. It's sturdy, it's strong, it's reliable. You can build upon it or with it, just like we've built this podcast. <laughs> so that's something to keep in mind. There are different ways of expressing truth, which are not always equivocal or unequivocal. It's not all either completely face value true or completely face value false. There's a middle way of analogy. So when we're talking about being, for example, God's being and our being, we're using that word being in two different ways. Firstly, we have being, whereas God just simply is, and our, our existence is dependent upon God or derived from God, whereas God is not dependent. So we use the same word, but we're using it in a slightly different way. We're always forced to sort of say sort of. So there are similarities, but there are also differences. In a similar way, when Jesus calls Peter rock, Jesus is not saying Peter is made of granite or marble, but he is communicating something that's true. So that's, that's probably the first point that I want to make. And the, these are the problems that we see that Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and people like that make. They read the Bible through the wrong, the wrong lenses. Mm, it's like how you would approach a library with lots of different resources and they're in different sections because you approach them with a different lens. You use the image of wearing glasses as you approach scripture. You put on different types of lenses depending on the particular text. But if you step back from the text, you, you also find that there is this current that runs through all of the pieces of scripture because it, it speaks of the same truth, the truth of God. Or I suppose uh, one way we could summarize it is how the Catechism says that the Bible is the words of God expressed in the words of the authors. So as you said before, God communicates to us by condescending, so meaning he makes use of a form of communication, which we understand, which is the human language. Mm -hmm. So he comes to use a form or a tool of human language in order to communicate to us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's something that sort of the historical context of scripture sometimes gets misunderstood or gets lost. And I think there's been a lot of work in recent years to look at things like the, the Jewish roots of the Eucharist. Who is it that wrote that book, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist? Bram Petrie. Petrie. Um, or the the Jewish roots of, of Mary and things, and, lo and looking at what these things would have meant for a first century Palestinian Jew like Jesus, what sort of, what's the social context that he arises in, that God chooses 
this place, these people, this time, this context to communicate something that's true about himself is providential. It's all within God's plan. And so that's something also to remember that these things aren't happenstance or, or pure chance. These things have been designed to be that way in God and can actually teach us teach us something that's true. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. When Jesus comes, he doesn't do away with anything of the, the Old Testament. Yeah. I mean, he says himself, he didn't come to abolish mm. the, the law. He comes to fulfill it. And I think that's a really important principle when you approach Scripture, is that he's coming to fulfill the things of the Old Testament. And that's exactly how the church for 2,000 years have read the Scriptures. It's how the early church, and I think it's also how the authors of Scripture have read uh, have written Scripture mm. uh, and read it as as well. And we could talk about a few different examples. Uh, but the, the church in the Catechism gives us a really important criteria for how to interpret the scripture. It gives a number of different criteria, but one of them I think is really important for anyone who first approaches reading scripture. It says, be especially attentive to the content and unity of the whole scripture. So by that, they mean that the content of scripture is this narrative, this unfolding story that goes throughout time. And then the unity is found in the in the covenants. So we find that there are a number of covenants in the Old Testament and the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And those covenants connect together and they get bigger as time goes on. And I suppose we could summarize that story by saying that God makes use of covenants in order to further his family plan, in order to make his family bigger, to include more people, so that when, when Jesus comes with a new covenant, it's a universal, everlasting covenant because it's there for everyone. You know, it's to include everyone. Everyone's invited to it. This principle is really summarized pretty well by Saint Augustine who says that the New Testament lies hidden in the old and the Old Testament is unveiled in the new. It probably just worth asking what is a covenant? There's a lot that could be said on what a covenant is. We could probably have an episode on it. Aye. Your, your role, I'd say. In, every, in every episode, we've got to promise <laughs> another one, right? <laughs> and, never, and never deliver on it. And maybe we'll, we, we'll will, we will, we will, we will. Someone was saying recently that they're, that they're really looking forward to our episode on the reliability of scripture. So that's definitely oh, yeah. an episode we're going to be doing. And then somebody else told me that they were really looking forward to our episode that we promised on Pius Twelfth. So yeah. don't worry, they will come. Yeah, someone was telling me that they're looking forward to the episode where we talk about vocation. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> oh, I look forward to that. Yeah, so there we are. Maybe that'll be our next one. Okay, so I think the best way of explaining a covenant is in contrast to a contract. Okay. So everyone knows what a contract is. It's exchange of goods. Uh, actually, a really good person to look this uh, idea up in a really good author is Scott Hahn, as we mentioned. He writes eloquently about what a covenant is. So a contract is an exchange of goods, whereas a covenant is an exchange of persons. So you promise to the other person yourself. So you give yourself to the other person. Whereas in a contract, you take something. Like a marriage bond. Yeah, and the best analogy, I suppose, is the marriage. Which is why marriage is used a lot as an mm. image in the Old Testament of God and Israel. And also in the New Testament with the church. Covenants, of course, also involve things like blood and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Just just like marriage, just like marriages, you know, when you come together with your spouse, you know, and also just in daily living and the sacrifices you make for one another and, and things like that. And also that they're expressions of love. Yeah. And in the Old Testament, a covenant would mark the unifying of two different families so that they become one family or two mm. different people that become one family. And as we said, God uses the covenants to extend his family plan. So through the covenant, God is extending this family plan to include more people. Just to go back to that point then about 
we were saying about St. Augustine. So he says, the New Testament lies hidden in the Old and the Old Testament is unveiled in the New. So St. Augustine, as well as many of the early church leaders, would see scripture as one. So Jesus comes to fulfill, not abolish, everything of the Old Testament. And they take this principle from Jesus himself. So on the road to Emmaus, when you have the two disciples, they're leaving Jerusalem, they're disillusioned, they don't understand what's just gone on with Jesus who's died on the cross. And Jesus walks with them and he reveals to them this unified big plan or big picture of scripture which is weaved through scripture through time and ultimately points to him so that's the principle then that the early church leaders take and even the writers of the new testament we see it with them as well for example peter talks about baptism being the fulfillment of the flood with Noah. So this principle comes up again and again, and I think that's a really important way of of reading scripture as one. So we read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, in the light of, of Christ. We see that things are not abolished in the New Testament. There's a word in theology called recapitulation, where Jesus fulfills everything from the Old Testament. He draws in and he perfects Israel's history. I mean, you see this with like when Jesus, uh, well, because we're in Lent, this works quite well. When Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days, Mm. he is reliving the history of Israel, but he relives it perfectly. So if you remember, Israel journeys 40 years in the desert, but when it's tempted, it fails. Whereas Jesus, Jesus doesn't fail. He, when he's tempted by the devil. And he actually quotes from Deuteronomy, the three occasions in Deuteronomy where Israel fails. And Paul also says something in Second Corinthians. He says that Jesus is the fulfillment or God's yes to every single one of God's promises mm. in the Old Testament. So I think that's a really important principle when you yeah. approach scripture. Yeah, I completely agree with that. On the issue of uh, recapitulation, of course, St. Paul uses the same thing in Romans. I think he, he talks about this, I think it's in Romans 5, where he says, just as uh, sin and death came into the world through one man, so too, through one man, we have eternal life. You can also draw parallels like Ir- Irenaeus of Leon. I think it was Irenaeus of Leon <laughs> who said, who drew parallels between the tree of life upon which Christ died for our eternal salvation and the tree in the book of Genesis, also with Eve and uh, Mary. So there are various sort of parallels. And this goes back to that thing that we said earlier about the sort of lenses that we use to read scripture and the the sort of the, the unifying element of scripture. So what I would sort of compare it to is that you you see or you read scripture through the eyes of faith, through the lens of Jesus Christ, who is the same today, yesterday and forever. And with the frame of the glasses, the frame I'm I'm sorry, I'm just using this analogy because I wear glasses. The framework that holds the lenses in, that's the the Holy Spirit and the the church, which is, a of course, a, a package deal. Christ and his church are one, as Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians, talking about the mystical body, his mystical body. But I also have another another uh, question. I, I'm sure you've heard as, as often as I have that common objection to our understanding of law, right? So, of course, scripture is, doesn't just have poetry and letters and theologized history and and biography and things, but it also has a, a books books of law. So it, the book of Leviticus being the most common one. And very often people will say, well, why is it as Catholics, you keep certain sort of moral laws that you also find in the Old Testament, but you reject other laws? 
if Christ came to fulfill the law and the prophets, like how does that all, all, all fit in? So why is it that, that, for example, the ceremonial law of the temple you don't keep anymore? Or why is it that you eat shellfish or wear mixed fabrics and things? But other questions of morality that you will find in the Old Testament, and I'd point out in the New in Paul's letters, for example, in Romans 1, uh, 1 and 2, and in other places, Paul's letters have a very strong moral emphasis on the moral life and the importance of the moral life. So why is it that some of these things persist and some of these things don't? Uh, I learned something from you, from my brother Thomas Aquinas. Do you, do you remember that? Yeah, this comes from Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas talks about the three divisions of the Mosaic law. So the Mosaic law was given by Moses to govern three aspects. We have the moral law, the judicial law, and the ceremonial law. And the judicial and ceremonial have been replaced because they were particular to certain things of the Old Testament. So the the judicial law or the civil law was intended to govern Israel as a civil society. And the ceremonial laws are on how to worship in the Old Testament, but they are ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So they are no longer required. Uh, but the moral law is still there because we need to live in a certain sense in Christ. So those moral laws remain the same because we lived those moral laws in the Old Testament to remain in God, in communion with God. Um, but also the point which is really important is the ceremonial and judicial laws are there in a different way now. So we have civil laws to keep society as one, if you like, and to live together. And canon law, of course, governing the sacraments. Yeah, and in the life of the church, the canon law. And the ceremonial laws are, in a certain sense, seen in the sacraments. Mm. Um, but one of the points I just wanted to go back to, we mentioned earlier that the Bible is the words of God in the words of the sacred authors. And I, I know you have some something very important on how those scriptural writers wrote truth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is what uh, is called the Lumen Propheticum. So it just means the light of the prophets or prophets. I, I can't remember if it's plural or singular. <laughs> the light of the prophet. So who teaches you Latin? Yeah, Sister Tamsin Geach, comma OP. God illumines the, the mind of the prophet by the light of the Holy Spirit, right? So God elevates the mind of the prophet to be able to see history from God's perspective, to be able to interpret history from God's perspective. And this then is communicated through those creatures that we call words, uh, which are inherently limited things, as we were saying earlier, and communicate things imperfectly, but of course has the advantage that we can understand them. So that's basically how it happens. So it's something internal, the locus or the, or the place of this divine illumination is within prophet. Uh, within the soul of, of, of the prophet and God illumines, God illumines the prophet by the light of the Holy Spirit to be able to see history in a different way, to see the world in a different way and to be able to interpret history and see history from God's perspective. So then communicate those truths, those truths in God's perspective to us in that way. Maybe just to sort of speak about two errors maybe that we want to avoid when understanding divine revelation and scripture and things that we want to avoid making God so transcendent that the, the divine revelation just isn't possible. So that God is so transcendent that either he wouldn't want to reveal himself to us or that we just couldn't ever understand 
So this isn't true because of God's power and God's benevolence and also how he chooses to act. He is mediated to us in a way so that we can understand. He wants us to to understand him. But of course, this is going to be perfected in the next life. This is going to be perfected when we see God face to face as he is. At the moment, in the, the King James Version of the Bible, it's got a, a lovely phrase, to see through a mirror darkly or dimly, which is sort of Paul's expression about how we see God now, whereas he says, you know, in the next life, we'll see God as he is face to face. But yeah, this is also, as I said earlier, this is one reason why God became human uh, in the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the full revelation, full self-disclosure of God. And the other error that we want to avoid is what we might call rationalism, whereby we exaggerate our powers of natural reason. Um, and, you know, there are some things in this life that we're just not going to be able to reason to on our own or that we're not going to be able to understand. And we have to accept some things on the authority of others. You know, we do it in other disciplines all the time. You know, I don't have the ability to understand complex mathematical formula or astrophysics, for example. But I, I can recognize that other people do and I accept things on on that legitimate authority that they have within their within their sphere. But there might be some things that just have to be given to us and revealed to us that we're not going to be able to get through purely by the power of our natural reason alone. I just want to sort of give you three tips when helping you to read scripture, maybe to summarize some of the things that you've said. So firstly, ask yourself, what type of text am I reading? Then ask yourself, what sort of truth is this scripture trying to communicate? And the third part that's connected to those two would be to remember that Jesus Christ is the lens through which all of these things are understood and seen. And the frame of that lens is the church, the magisterium, the Holy Spirit, the teaching of the church. And we see these things with the eyes of faith. And so that there is a unity there and that we should remember that the church calls, uh, is called the pillar and ground of truth by scripture. This is one of the reasons why our Protestant friends who very often will talk about scripture alone, I, I think is wrong. I think scripture itself actually refutes that principle of scripture alone by calling the church the pillar and ground of truth. So it's important to read scripture with the mind and the heart of the church. You know, we can't just understand, pick these things up and just understand them on our own. God created us so that we could rely on each other and that we could trust each other and that we could uh, have have faith. Uh, so all of these things, I think, are necessary. Maybe there are some principles that can just sort of help you out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And something just, just to add there is that scripture is written uh, for us. It's not just a historical or past account of a number of truths of how God worked in history or worked with a number of people throughout history. But it's actually a living word where mm. the father who is in heaven comes to meet his children and talks with them to to quote Dave Verbum. So in the Bible, we meet our heavenly father and we hear his voice to us. So as members of the church, which is God's family, we can hear God our father speaking to us through scripture. I mean, also through tradition and, and through the mass and through the sacraments. But I think that's really important to, to remember as a principle because at the center of uh, our faith at the center of the Bible is a person, uh, Jesus Christ. I mean, I've heard it said that the words of Scripture paint a face. They paint the face of, of Christ. They point ultimately to Christ. And the Catechism 
has a has a wonderful way of summarizing this. It says that since the resurrection, scripture and the church opens the heart of Jesus to all of us, or through them, Jesus's heart is open to all of us. So that's a, a really important thing to to know that the scripture is God our Father speaking to us. Just to sort of finish, maybe uh, just saying, you know, where might we begin, right? I would say maybe begin with the, if, you, if, if you're going to begin with the gospel, maybe begin with the gospel of Mark because it's the shortest. It's got lots of little short choppy bits that you can sort of pick up and put down. Maybe if you were looking for something a bit longer, maybe go for the gospel of Luke, uh, which is, is if I had a favorite, that'd be my favorite. <laughs> and then maybe, maybe after you've read a gospel or the gospels um, or all four of them, Maybe think about going to uh, one of Paul's letters, maybe Paul's letter to the Ephesians or the Corinthians, for example. I thought you were going to say 1 John. <laughs> oh, I love 1 John. 1 John is my favorite letter. Yeah. 1 John and, and, and James. I love them. Absolutely love them. Yeah. But that's maybe where I'd start. But this will is not going to be the last podcast that we have on scripture. And for it's example... Not? No, <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, we'll also have a, a podcast, I'm sure, on how to understand the difficult, more difficult parts in scripture. Maybe I, I could just sort of point you to the Word on Fire YouTube channel. Bishop Barron uh, has had a video go up recently on understanding violence in the Old Testament. And that will uh, help you to understand some of those more, more difficult uh difficult passages and it will unpack some of the things that we've been saying here today and how to understand things but I think it's it would be important at some point for us to talk about law uh, in in scripture and uh, answer mm -hmm. some common common objections and things to to that but um, yeah begin with the gospel of Mark or the gospel of Luke and uh, don't forget to subscribe to our Instagram to although we need to <laughs> add more things to our Instagram and don't forget to yeah subscribe and share the podcast and thanks very much for listening goodbye god bless